Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, hopefully in a couple of weeks I won't be sitting down when I come up here. Uh, that'll be good. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We've been talking about the fact that people look for happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment, and they always seem to come up a little short. Uh, we look for it in the things of this world, uh, you know, through money and power and sex and, and good times and pleasure, and we try to find things that give us ultimate fulfillment, and they, they might give us some happiness here or there. They might provide us with distraction, but it really, there seems to be something missing. And then we talked about the fact that some people then try religion and God. And that still seems to be something that doesn't quite give them. I mean, maybe it, it finds fulfillment here. It gives them some peace there. But it doesn't really seem to give them all that they're searching for. And the reason for that is in this world, you're never going to find everything that you're looking for. Because you are fallen people in a fallen world with an enemy that is opposing you. And so you're never going to find true fulfillment in this world. We talked about in the book of Proverbs that we're told God put, I mean, Ecclesiastes, God put eternity in our heart. So you know that when you look at the world and you see things that happen like the shooting in Las Vegas or, or the hurricanes that came through, and you see those things and you think, it's not right. There's something wrong. It shouldn't be that way. And that's because you know it's not because deep inside of you, God put that there. You know that those things just weren't supposed to be that way. When you see people get old and age and die and you think, it's just not right, that shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to be the way that it is. This isn't the world that God created or that God wants us to have. It's a fallen world. We are fallen, sinful people and we are opposed. And so what we're going to look at today is that God does want you to be happy. God does want this to be a world where you find some peace and satisfaction. You're never going to find everything you want in this world, but God still wants this to be the best world it can be for you. But we actually do some things that destroy our own happiness. We do things that we think are going to help us that actually hurt us and keep us from finding the happiness God intends for us to have in this world. So we're going to look at five happiness busters that we have and the biblical solution found to those happiness busters. And so take your Bibles, turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about things that we do thinking it's going to help us that actually take us further away from the happiness that we were supposed to have. Well, I don't know if you've read about it this week in the newspaper or not, uh, but there was a guy that uh, scaled the White House fence and was running around the White House lawn. Uh, he was dressed as a uh, Pokemon character, Pikachu. And uh, he had climbed the White House fence. He was going to film it Facebook Live. And, of course, if a crazy person dressed as Pikachu scales the White House fence, where's he got to be from? <laughs> Kentucky. That's exactly right. So he had to be from Kentucky when he scaled the fence and, and he jumped over there because that's not normal behavior. But he wasn't just from Kentucky. Anybody know what city he's from in Kentucky? Somerset. Now, we've got a lot of Somerset people in this church. They call us Somerset North or something like that. Hey, if you're a Somerset person, raise your hand right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's several of you. I won't even say the guy's name. He's probably second cousin or something to, to some of you all. 
But this guy scales the White House fence. He's running around dressed as Pikachu, and he did it for a particular reason. He told the police, I want to be famous, and I was going to film it on Facebook Live, and it would go viral, and i get so many hits, I'd become world famous. There was only one problem. He was arrested before he could start filming himself running around the White House line. Got a picture of him uh, right here uh, that, that you see there. Uh, they've already taken his Pikachu hat off, and they're leading him in. So he thought this was going to be a good idea. He thought it was going to be something that would bring him fame and, and he would be happy about. And all it ended up doing was getting him thrown in jail. Uh, so his uh, attempted happiness actually became a happiness buster. Well, over in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at five happiness busters and what we can do about them. We're going to begin in verse 13. In verse 13, and the first happiness buster is this. Trying to do everything on your own. Going through this world and trying to meet all of the challenges, all of the problems, everything that happens, and trying to do it on your own. Now, the first question we have is if we're doing that, is why are we doing that? What do we think we're going to gain from it? Because we're doing it because we think it's going to bring us happiness. Well, we've heard our whole life, hey, if, you, if you're going to do something, do it yourself. Pull yourself up by the own bootstraps. You know, Americans are fiercely independent uh, type of people. We don't want anybody to help us. We can do it on our own and stuff like that. And so that, that kind of goes over into our relationship with God, too. Uh, in, instead of looking at God and, and, and his help and his power, we think we can do it all on our own. And the only time we call God in is when we get overwhelmed. So we get hit with all these problems and troubles. They finally get too much for us. And we say, okay, time to call God in or something like that. But that's not supposed to be the pattern we have. If you are trying to find happiness by doing it on your own, you're going to fight your own sins. You're going to meet all your problems and troubles that you have. Then you're going to find that you're going to fail over and over again. And what you're using for happiness is actually going to bust your happiness and not get you where you want to be. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> For it is God who works in you to will and to act in accordance to his good purpose. Now look at that again. How do we succeed in this world? If you're thinking the way you're going to succeed is doing it on your own and having the resources and the ability to meet every challenge you have, that's not what we're told in verse 13. It is God who works in you so that you can have the will to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it all depends upon God, not us. And not only God, but God working inside of you. Uh, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, His Spirit comes inside of you. And so it's no longer you, it's now God coming up inside of you. And He's encouraging you to do His will and to live the way that you want to live. If you're trying to live a good, godly, righteous life, and you're trying to do it on your own, you're going to be constantly frustrated and you're going to constantly fail. If you're trying to meet the problems and challenges of this life on your own, you're going to constantly be frustrated and you're going to constantly fail. We're told it is God working in us that causes us to will and act according to his good purpose. It's not something you do on your own. God has given us two things that were supposed to get us through life. One is he's there, his power, his resources, his spirit. We need to look to God and we need to be looking to God daily, not just when things go wild, but God leading us and directing us every day of his life. Second, God's given us the church. People ask all the time, well, I, or say all the time, I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. Well, then you've never read scripture. You do need the church. God gave you a family, a family to love, encourage, and to help you get through life. 
Now, it's like any other family. The church isn't perfect. Anybody here have a perfect family at home? Never argue, never fuss or fight. Yeah, thank, thank you. That Mike in his own little world over there. Uh, let me ask, ask Joan if she thinks that, that she's in the perfect family or something like that. But, but sometimes our families frustrate us immensely. It doesn't mean we don't love them or care for them or you, you got on my nerves so I'm not going to go home at Christmas or something like that. You go home at Christmas because you want the presents. I mean, you know, you're still going to show up. You know how that is. But it doesn't mean that your family doesn't frustrate you. And the church can, is a family and sometimes we can be very frustrating as well. Uh, and we've all experienced it if you've been around the church very long. But God gave us the church to encourage, to help, to strengthen us. So God is going to be with you. We're supposed to look to him and not try to do it all on our own. Several years ago, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention in Atlanta, Georgia. You don't get any more Southern Baptist than being in Atlanta, Georgia for the Southern Baptist Convention. And I was on the Metro, and uh, Dawn and I were going back to our hotel. And uh, you have your little ticket, you put it in a thing, it scans, it comes out the other side, and you take it. Well, a Baptist pastor came through, and I knew he was a Baptist pastor because he had, like, his acolytes running around him, you know, making sure that there were rose petals in front of him as he was wa- walking through and everything, you know. And uh, he gets up to the, to the metro thing, and he starts trying to scan his ticket that doesn't scan. He just keeps putting it on top of it like that. And so I'm already through, and I turn around and said, Sir, it doesn't work that way. You just slide it through, and it pops out on the other side. And he gave me the Baptist pastor death stare. And then he started trying to do it even harder. And I said, or you can do it that way. And then I turned around and and, and went to my my train, which was pulling up at that that particular time, you know, or something like that. But I'm going to do it on my own. I don't need anybody to help me. I don't need anybody to explain it to me. I've got it all figured out. If you think that's going to bring you happiness, it's going to ruin your happiness every time. The second thing we're told in the very next verse, verse 14, the second happiness buster that we have is whining and complaining about everything. Whining and complaining about everything. Now, again, people do that because they think somehow it's helping them. So how do we think whining and complaining is going to help us? Well, what we think is the world revolves around me. What I think and feel and want is superior to what anybody else wants, thinks, or feels. So if I don't get my way, I'm going to whine and complain to let you know how bad it is for me. And so you'll change your behavior and do what I want you to do. So we think we're going to be happy by whining and complaining. How many people here have ever seen a whiner or a complainer that seemed happy? Whiners and complainers aren't happy. You may think you're going to get what you want out of it, but it doesn't make you happy. It makes you miserable, but it doesn't just make you miserable. It makes everybody around you miserable. A while back, Dawn and I were on an airplane, you know, and, and uh, you know, we always buy the really good tickets where you're like uh, in the middle of 30 seats uh, in the back with the toilet overflowing or, or, or something, you know. And, uh, you know, they're saying, well, we'll give you a, a glass of water for $15 or something like that. And we got bumped to first class which is a good bump, by the way. And so it was Dawn and I and another lady. Dawn and I were sitting together. She was sitting across from us. We'd been bumped to first class. Man, I was in heaven. They had glass that you drank out of, a real glass. Uh, They had silverware that you were eating off of. Instead of peanuts, they gave us grilled salmon and uh, broccoli. 
And I was, th- I was in heaven, man. They, they had magazines. You know, I'm sitting back with my towel and, and eating my grilled salmon. And I'm thinking, you know, finally, it doesn't get any better than this on an airplane. And then the lady across from us who'd been bumped up, she was complaining about everything. You didn't put enough ice in my cup. Then they bring her salmon. She said, this salmon isn't cooked properly. Can I have something else? And she started complaining about everything. And I looked over at her and I thought, man, I am overjoyed that I am here in first class. And this lady is miserable because she's in first class and complaining about everything and forgetting where she just came from. As a matter of fact, the only thing that would have made my experience in first class better was if they had taken her and sent her back to coach. That's the only thing that could have made it better. But if you whine and complain about everything, you're never going to be happy. Look at verse 14. It's fairly straightforward and simple. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Because that ruins happiness. It doesn't give you happiness. It's going to take your happiness away. If all you're going to do is grumble about everything, if all you're going to do is argue about everything, if nothing's ever going to satisfy you, you may think you're going to get what you want out of it. But it's not. It's just going to ruin your happiness. The very next verse, verse 15, is our third happiness buster, our third happiness buster. And that is feeling guilty and ashamed. Feeling guilty and ashamed. You know, we talked about the fact, fallen world, an enemy, but we also said fallen people. That we're not the people God intended for us to be in the Garden of Eden. That we are sinful people. That sin has entered into this world. And it's not just the people sitting around you. You probably looking around this morning going, yeah, I see a few fallen people out there. You know, but I could hold up a mirror and you could look at it and you'd see another fallen person and that would be you. You're not going to go very far without messing up, saying something you shouldn't have said, doing something wrong, kicking yourself and saying, why did I do that? Why did I do that again? And so what often happens is when we do fail because we're fallen people is that we feel condemned And then we feel guilty and ashamed. Now, that's the exact opposite of what God wants you to feel. Whenever you feel condemned and guilty and ashamed, I'm here to tell you that's always from your enemy and it's never from God. He's always trying to make you feel condemned, guilty, and ashamed. God wants you to feel convicted and repentant. And they're two entirely different things. I've messed up, therefore I'm never going to get it right. I'm a bad person. God's disappointed in me. I've let everybody down. I might as well give up. I'm guilty and I feel ashamed. That is never from God. God's going to want you to feel, I messed up. I did something wrong. God loves me. I'm going to go back and live the way that I was supposed to live and correct this thing that I've done and live a better and godly way. That's repentance. It's not condemnation. So again, if you're feeling guilty and ashamed, why do we do that? Because we look at ourselves and what we think is, okay, this is the right. I've messed up. I'm in the wrong. I'm never going to get it right. The truth of the matter is, that is actually 100% correct. You're never going to get it right. And if you could have got it right in your own power, happiness buster number one, then Jesus wouldn't have happened having to come. Jesus came because you don't get it right. Jesus came to die on the cross to take your sins upon him that you might be forgiven even when you don't deserve it. So if what you're trying to do is thinking, I'm going to live a life where I don't have to worry about my guilt or sin because I'm going to overcome it through my power, you're going to be really disappointed in life. You're going to feel guilty and ashamed and condemned because you're going to keep messing up. 
But if you believe that Jesus loves you and died for you and has made your life different and that you're not perfect, you're forgiven, then it's going to be an entirely different thing when those times come upon you. Look at verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure. How many people get up in the morning and get ready to wash your face and brush your teeth and look in the mirror and think, man, there's a blameless, pure person staring back at me there. Anybody ever thought that in the morning? If so, you're on some really good meds. That's, that's, all, that's all I've got to say uh, when you do that. No, you don't think that when you look in the mirror. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. How does that happen? How do, how do, when I look at myself and you look at yourself and we see all of our imperfections and all of our, our failures, how do we become blameless and pure without fault? Well, it's really very simple. It's nothing that you're doing. It's because your sins were nailed to the cross and taken away as far as the east is from the west. And you've been totally forgiven because you have now become a child of God. You're God's child. And in this world, we're still going to have those imperfections. But one day, you're going to find what you're looking for. And all of those things will be wiped away. It's not this world. You're not going to find what you're looking for here. But God has made it where we are forgiven. And one day, we will find that. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You're supposed to be an example to the rest of the world. So what we often try to do when we hear that, is we think, okay, I'm going to be an example of blameless and pure in a crooked generation that's warped. Who thinks that's going to work very well? So you try to be blameless and pure and show the world how good you are, and what do they see? Hypocrite. You keep messing up, you're just a hypocrite. You're not supposed to show the world you're blameless and pure. You're only going to be blameless and pure in heaven. You're supposed to show the world you're loved and forgiven. The world thinks Christians are hypocrites because we try to show them we're blameless and pure when we're not. It'll only be heaven. We're forgiven. If you show them I'm loved and forgiven despite myself, they're going to say, I want that too. If what you're trying to show them is I'm better than you, I'm superior, I never mess up, all they're going to see is the times you mess up and call you a hypocrite. So if you think that feeling condemned and guilty and ashamed is going to give you what you're looking for, you're not going to find it there. Very next verse, we keep going on, verse 16. The fourth happiness buster is forgetting God's promises. Forgetting God's promises. We get hit by a lot in this world. A lot of problems, a lot of troubles, relationship issues, uh, uh, money issues, problems that come at work. Uh, We have troubles that come from natural disasters. Everything else you could think of, health issues. Uh, caring about people who are sick that we love. We have all kinds of problems that hit us. And when those times come, when we have big decisions to make, when we're in dark valleys, that's when more than any other time, we have to look to God and depend upon him and his word and his encouragement that he can give us. But what happens to most Christians is we fall back to, I'm going to do it on my own. And so when problems and troubles come, we've never read the Bible. We don't know what it says. We don't know what his promises are. We don't know the right way to live or the right truths to follow. I was reading an article a while back about uh, the Vietnam War, and it was talking about prisoners of war 
that were in the Hanoi Hilton, as uh, what they called the uh, prisoner of war camp there. And they talked about one of the ways that they survived is that through Morse code, by tapping on the wall, they sent Bible verses to one another. And so they would just Morse code Bible verses all across the prison to one another to encourage one another. And one of the soldiers that was interviewed said, you know, I was a Christian. I grew up in church, but I didn't really read my Bible much. And I didn't know a lot of scriptures to, to give out. And one day, you know, I actually get a message like, come on, man, give me something encouraging. And what I said back was, I wish I would have read my Bible more, you know, as they, as they were in there. You know, that, that we don't know until those times come that we really need to look back and depend upon what God's word says. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So Paul says, I want to tell people I'm proud of you. I want to tell people that you have overcome, that you found the secret to this life. But he said, the only way you're going to do that is to hold firmly to the word of life. To, to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to know what the Bible says, because the Bible is our answer book to this world. And if we're not reading it and studying it, you're never going to find the answers to it. Did you know that the vast majority of Christians, and especially Southern Baptists, have a high view of the Bible? As a matter of fact, 90% of Southern Baptists say they believe every word of the Bible. 90%. 89% can't tell you a thing the Bible says. But they all believe it's true. We just don't have any idea what's in it because we've never read it before. And you know, George Barna did a recent survey, said 19% of regular churchgoers. Now, what's a regular churchgoer? According to Barna, you show up at church at least once a month. So if you show up at church 12 times a year, you're a regular churchgoer. Regular churchgoers, 19% of them read the Bible each day. 19%. 14% read the Bible in a week, and 22% will read the Bible in a month. That's it. So what do you have there? I can't add all that up. I, I went to Oldham County Schools. Let me see, 35, 45. That's like 57% or something like that. I need to get my calculator out and do that, do that right. So 57% will read the Bible once a month. That means 43%, thank you. That means 43% aren't doing anything. Nearly half of Christians are not cracking this book once a month. And then you think when problems and troubles come, that when you're hit with big questions and decisions to make in life, you're going to know how to do it according to God's word and will when you've never even opened it? We need to take the reading of the Bible seriously because you're not going to succeed, he says in verse 16, unless we hold fast to the word of life and know what it says. We need to be reading the Bible and taking it seriously. And if you think you're going to get through this world without it, you're not, it will be a happiness buster. And that brings us to our last happiness buster, which is always the best part of everybody's sermon when I say the last. So what is the last happiness buster we find in verses 17 and 18? And that is focusing on yourself more than anything else. If for you, this world is about you, and that's what you're focusing on, then you're going to constantly be disappointed and what's going on. But why do we focus on ourselves? Because that's what the world tells us is going to make us happy. You need to take care of yourself. You need to look out for number one. Uh, you, need to, you need to get ahead. You know, uh, uh, 
uh, all that kind of stuff. So we begin to think the world revolves around me. Now, earlier we asked a question that as a whiner and complainer, do they ever seem happy to you? No, they don't. Does a selfish person ever seem happy to you? No. A selfish person who thinks all about themselves are not the happiest person in the room. They're the most miserable person in the room because they're always waiting to be slighted. They use other people instead of caring and loving other people because it's just what they want to get ahead. And so pretty soon you're turned off everybody because everybody knows all you want and all you think about is yourself. I met somebody uh, uh, the other day and ended up, we had a a, uh, mutual friend. And I said, oh, they're, they're your friend too. And they said to me, they're nobody's friend unless they need help. And I thought, whoa, that's, that's a, you know, I didn't say, well, I found the same thing, but yeah, you know, because <laughs> I try to be nice as a pastor, you know, uh, but, you know, but that was their viewpoint of this person. There's nobody's friend unless they need something from you. So if that's what people think and that's what people see, you're not going to get happy by doing that. So what's the cure? The cure is to focus on God and others. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too can be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's about to be put to death. This is the very end of his life and he knows he's about to be put to death. And his readers in Philippi are so concerned about him. He said, man, you know, we're praying for you. We're worried about you. Uh, you know, we're afraid they're going to, to execute you at any moment. And Paul says, you know what? If what I'm doing and writing, if that makes it better for you and the church, then I'm filled with joy. Because see, for Paul, it wasn't about himself. It was about helping the church and helping other people. The most miserable people you're ever going to be in life, meet in life are people who think only about themselves. I was talking to a lady one time at another church that I, I pastored, and, and she had three kids, and they'd all graduated from college and moved out of town. The lady was in good health, had a, had a lot of money, had a nice house, nice car, all that kind of stuff. I sat in her living room, and she began to tell me, you know, well, this kid moved to Colorado, and this kid to Florida, and this kid to, I don't know, Idaho or wherever, you know, and she's telling me all that. And I said, yeah, I know that's hard. And then she looked at me and she said, Chip, there's never been a person born on this planet that has it worse than I do right now. And I wanted to say, smack, wake up, lady. Let me walk you down the street and anybody we meet will probably have it worse than you do. But when all we think about is ourself, then it becomes all consuming. But a person that thinks about others is free to be happy. Because now instead of it just being, <coughs> I'm being slighted or I'm not getting what I need or deserve, you're saying, how can I help someone else? How can I make their life better? How can I ease their burden? And when you're doing that, it begins to change everything about you. When I was in the hospital a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I was laying there, dawn and gone home, and I'm in bed by myself, and I had one of those Poor me moments. Anybody ever had a poor me moment? Yeah, I had one of those poor me moments. I go, poor chips in the hospital with blood clots in his lung, you know. And I was feeling all sorry for myself. And then I got a thing that popped up on uh, Facebook where somebody was dealing with something a whole lot different than me and a whole lot more serious. 
And I then began, I took out a pad and pen, I began to write down all the people in my life and in the church that I knew were really struggling now. And instead of me sitting there having a poor me moment, I began to have a time of prayer and really reaching up and, and giving these people to God and praying for them. I could have sat there the rest of the night and been miserable. But when I got through, I felt so much better because your thoughts just aren't about yourself anymore. You see, it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. It's that you're never going to find ultimate fulfillment in this world. You're not going to find what you're looking for. But then we do things intentionally that wreck our happiness, that we think are going to help us, but they don't. And so I hope you look back some this week and you say, what am I doing that's ruining the happiness God wants me to have in this world? Deshaun Jackson uh, is the quarterback of the Houston Texans, uh, played at Clemson. He's a, he's a rookie this year. He, being in Houston, you know, the city is just reeling from everything that happened after the hurricane. And Jackson got his first check, $28,000 for his first check uh, that he was going to start getting every week, which is not a bad weekly check, really, when, when you think about it. And he got his first weekly check. And Deshaun Jackson's a very strong Christian. And he decided, you know what, this city's hurting and I need to do something about it. And so the stadium they play in in Houston, uh, he found out that there were three workers in the cafeteria that had lost everything. All their homes, all their families, everything that they had. And so Sean Jackson took his first check, divided it by three, and gave it to the three ladies in the cafeteria that lost everything. Got a picture of him right here presenting uh, it to them uh, as, as uh, he was going to practice that day at the stadium. That's a young man, 22 years old, who has understood the secret to happiness isn't just getting it for yourself and thinking about yourself. It's caring and loving other people. Now, let me ask you this question. I mean this very seriously. What if Deshaun Jackson had kept that check, bought him a nice car, uh, bought him some good clothes and really nice clothes, uh, you know, some uh, Jimmy Choo shoes or something. Is that a brand? I don't know. Is that Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, 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 you know, that, that's there. And, you know, bought, bought him some really nice stuff like that. He bought him the best Xbox. You know, I, I don't know. You know, big screen TV. Look at the, the face of the woman there that he's telling, that he's presenting that to. Do you think he would have been happier with his new shoes? Or do you think he would have been happier giving that check to that lady? Seriously, what do you think? I guarantee you helping another person gave him a lot more happiness than caring about himself. There's things in this world we think are going to make us happy, and they actually are happiness busters. But when we find the cure to what God wants in this life, we're going to find true happiness. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you show us the best way to live. Because when we try to figure it out on our own, it several seldom works out the way that we want it to. Father, help us to live a life that gets the best out of what you have given us. Help us not to intentionally ruin our own happiness with our thoughts and the way that we act. But Father, to realize that you have a better way if we'll only follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.
today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.